And so this winding down period, I think, is when a lot of people make a tragic error. And I think they make it because they're exhausted. They got, you know, they're old. They sworn out. And they're just like, I'm done. Well, you got a patent for something that you sold $50 million worth of. Yeah, but this last year, I didn't really sell much of it. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. Let's jump in. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business, but a small and profitable business than a large one which earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Download your 60-page workbook and start making your business more profitable today. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Hey folks, welcome back to The E-Commerce Leader. I'm Michael Vizier in London, England, and Jason Miles is over in California these days, not in Seattle, Washington. He's moved back to the Sunshine State. Today, we are talking about a really important topic, which has come up organically for Jason recently. And actually, uh, when he mentioned it, I've also seen examples of this. And that is when you're winding down a business or considering just shutting it, um, are you about to just you know walk away from something which has more value than you think? Um, this is another subset, really, of, of using the profit and loss or wrong wrong interpretations, perhaps, of profit and loss or your personal income to put a value on a business. So very important topic. If you are in a situation where you're considering shutting down part of your business or the whole business or you have a friend who's in that situation, you really will want to listen to this or get your friend to listen to this as well. This could save them a lot of wasted money. And this is from real life stuff as well. This isn't a theoretical idea. This is driven by real life experiences that Jason and I have both had uh, with our clients. So stay tuned and I hope we can save you from that fate. Enjoy the show. And she said, no, she said, I honestly, I'm just, you know, I, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm at peace. I'm just closing it down. I haven't really thought about selling it per se. And I just said to her, look, you know, your business is value. I know your business is valuable. I know your business because she was a co- coaching client, consulting client. I, I said, there's value there. There is value there. That, like, don't just shutter it. Like, you know, you can sell this thing. And so, you know, I said to her, go, go back and do your QuickBooks, get your P&L and your balance sheet tuned up. Really look to see what's happened in the last 12 months in terms of your, your income, your income statement. And, and I explained to her how to sell a business and it, you know, the kind of the pro tips and uh, what I've seen people do, what I've helped people do. And uh, had some examples that made sense to her because they were kind of relatively similar industries. And so I said, please, you know, don't, don't, I know you're ready to be done and you're exhausted, but take the time to do this. And so we set up at a second appointment. She came back and she was so surprised and so upbeat. And so like, almost like what, what happened? And, And the fact that she did her income statement, got all of her expenses documented, got all of her you know, sales documented, lo and behold, the business actually was making an income. 
And so she then had an, you know, evaluation methodology plus the inventory she had that she could hold or, or sell onto the new future owner. Plus all the other things, the original concept, the unique products that she had tooled and made, the brand itself, the Shopify site, the social media accounts. You know, she had all these things that weren't, that, that were valuable, but because it didn't have a monthly owner's draw, she didn't think that it had any income as she could, you know, use as a justification to sell it to somebody else. But doing this process, she realized, oh my goodness, there, there is actually value now. Now there are other cases that I'm familiar with where there's generally no, realistically no income, but the people still have inventory on hand. They still have a website. They still have a brand. They still have the brand concept. They still have products that they've had originally created. They still have customer names. They still have, you know, email addresses and, and on and on. The, those businesses are valuable. And, you know, Michael, you said at the top of the show that, that there's no value of a business that doesn't have, you know, earnings or income. And that's, you know, I mean, I, I know where, I know the sentiment you were saying, which is there's no calculable value, but there is, if you have a million dollars of inventory that is not garbage, you know, I mean, like that's generally valuable inventory, then, yeah. then you have a business that is sellable, even if you do not have income. The, the, on the income statement. And so this winding down period, I think is when a lot of people make a tragic error. And I think they make it because they're exhausted. They got, you know, they're old, they sworn out and they're just like, I'm done. Well, you got a patent for something that you sold $50 million worth of. Yeah. But this last year, I didn't really sell much of it. Like, yeah. well, there's still huge value there. How many customers do you have in your email list? Well, I only have 46,000 well, email addresses. Yeah. Well, there's value there, you know? So yeah. you get my point. You get my point that you know, this is a very tenuous time in the life of a business, but I think it's a huge mistake to say there's no value if there's not, you know, profit on the P&L. Yeah. I read that email that you sent around. That really got my attention. I, that, that story that you, you told, well, I mean, that, you know, telling the, the truth of your mm -hmm. client. It reminds me of something else, which I haven't really related publicly. So I want to be a bit sort of careful. I don't think I'll identify when I'm saying this, but it was somebody who wasn't actually a client. He came in for a one, one off consult for some reason. I must have been offering something about or doing an audit or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he'd got the business. They'd got to seven figures and then it dropped into sort of several hundred thousand. And because he'd allowed the overhead to creep up, you know, well, what's a shoot up to handle the, you know, the needs of the business when the revenue was high. Because the revenue dropped off a lot, then of course it was pushing him into the red. Yeah. But I just looked at it and I thought, well, I said, are you absolutely sure that you don't want to turn this business around? And again, like, you know, that, that sort of vibe that I got from me is exhausted, fed up with fighting Amazon, which can be horrendous as anyone yeah. who's done that. And it can like fighting a robot that's this sort of dyslexic or I don't know, dysfunctional <laughs> robot it is just extraordinarily yeah, totally. bad when it's bad. Right. Yeah. We've all seen that. So we don't have experienced yeah. it, but you know. So I kind of got it emotionally. I, I mean, I really got it. I, we've all been there, but I just mm -hmm. thought, wow, somebody, somebody should be buying this business. Yeah. Yes, they will buy it for not that much relative to what it would be if it were really a going concern right now. Mm -hmm. but if they can turn it around, they can sell it on for a lot of money. So somebody's going to buy this. So I put him in touch with the business broker I know and don't know what happened. I mean, it was a strange thing to try and sell. It wouldn't mm -hmm. be easy. It would be a very mm -hmm. small market of people who would buy it. But I just thought there's huge value in here. And if you cut, cut, cut on the overhead, 
and you maybe re-engineered the the, the you know the the cost of goods sold, the direct costs. I think it could have turned into a business which was several hundred thousand, maybe a million or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe he wasn't the person to do that, and therefore the smart thing is to exit yourself. But as you say, not to chuck it in the trash on the web. Yeah. Because you're feeling bad about it for the last few months. You know, it's very common, I think. It totally is. And just, you know, as context, I think Cinnamon and I are up to to 18 businesses we purchased from people. So yeah, this isn't theoretical for me. I mean, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of these scenarios and those are the ones that we've personally purchased. The ones that we've, you know, I've just consulted with or whatever, you know, there are many more. And so, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is tied to a confusion that comes from exhaustion that comes from a long duration of just being worn down by your business. And, and if you have the opportunity to be the buyer of a business like that, and you know, like there's a good example I could think of right now where I could share the details of basically one of our clients purchased a business and I think he paid $6 million for it. Something, something like that. I'm not sure actually the exact valuation, but, um, he saw a huge opportunity where there was things that, you know, could be tweaked and changed. Well, other, you know, other clients that, you know, have no businesses that are being run that because they're familiar, kind of almost like partners, they know they're being run in ways that are less than ideal. And so, you know, one person's albatross could certainly be another person's golden goose. And that's the, uh, that's the idea of understanding that, you know, when people are, are in that position, it is hard to try to encourage them to keep their head above water and, and really finish well and, and go out with a bang and, and, and it, but if, but if they can do that, then they end up, you know, successfully transitioning their business without it just being shuttered, which sadly many, many times that happens, you know, in the U S I forget the statistics, but it's a huge number of businesses that are just shuttered every year. Similar in the UK proportionately. And, and I think, I think yeah, it's very interesting reflecting why this happens, doesn't it? Because what you bought 18 businesses, I mean, you perceive value where other people don't, I guess, for, for every position mm -hmm. where you've been a buyer, somebody else was a seller because they perceived that there was less value than the money you gave them or the former. Well, they, they perceive value. They just were done. I mean, it's just like they were yeah, just ready to be, they wanted a right fair, uh, they wanted a fair value. Mm. And, uh, and right. So to, but to your point, yes, I saw, I saw gone, gone value, continuous value. And I was, mm. we were ready to, you know, keep it going. And uh, yeah, but they, they did, they did see value. The question is, you know, sometimes people are way over valuing a business in their mind. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And other times they totally undervalue it. And that's, I guess that's my whole point is when you're at this end of the road, they'll, you know, sometimes you're like, I want to sell this for a million bucks. Well, how much revenue did it do last year? $22,000. You know, other times you're like, I am done. I just want to give this business away. Well, how much revenue did you do last year? 110,000. Well, okay, I'll take it. You looks yeah. like, I mean, it's like this guy, it was several hundred thousand. I think, I think one of the, I was thinking about the, the mental state of the person there. And, and I guess what we're cautioning against is just following that exhaustion and letting it lead you rather than taking a, a cooler look at the numbers and, and right. maybe other forms of valuing it. But one of the reasons I think that this guy, for example, I was just reflecting on why he was so firmly done. I'm like, you know what? I was thinking, there's so much opportunity. I looked at the books and, yeah. you know, in confidence and, and I said, I can see a lot of opportunity here, but he just didn't see that. And I think one reason is because he'd got used to a certain level of revenue and a certain level of profit. 
And then the revenue rug had been pulled from under his feet. So when you have a, a 50% drop in revenue, as a lot of people did coming off the, the crazy COVID times when everyone was home shopping and then after, right? And then it's moved from a healthy profit to a loss. Yeah. I can see why that's unhelpful. But I think what people do is they, they understandably, emotionally, it makes sense as a sort of story or narrative or experience, all of those things. They look at their business historically and compare what it is now to what it was. Whereas somebody looking at it afresh as a possible opportunity looks at what it is now and what it can be in the future. So yeah. I I'm no psychologist and I don't know how to change that perspective easily. I know that I felt very done with things in past and that's well, natural, a, but it's interesting, isn't it's, it? The way you view it can, can yeah, really change. It's, it's the same psychology as when a buyer is going through the buying process. You make the decision on emotion and you justify it with logic. And when you're ready to wind down your business, you've made a decision on emotion and then you justify it with logic. And a lot of times that logic is sort of mental math or back of the envelope thinking like, oh, I'm done. I know I'm done. And I know this business doesn't have any value. Oh, well, have you gone through the numbers? No, I'm, I'm too, I'm too exhausted. Like, well. Well, then if you go through the numbers and you're presented with a counterfactual, you have a problem because you already made your decision. You know, you, are, you already decided you're done. And so that's sort of the, the scenario that plays out. It's like, well, you know, if you're done and you don't think your business is worth anything because you work 70 hours a week and you're not even making any money, can anyone talk you out of that? No, I don't. I, it's hard. It's a hard one, you know? So and this, this is where this yeah. is where value is really created with new owners who take over things or, you know can get, can get a deal done where they're like, wow, this was an amazing business. It just, the person before me had just kind of exhausted themselves, banging their head against the wall. I came in and I didn't bang my head against that wall. Yeah. I guess being done it, it, is relative, isn't it? You can be done with mm -hmm. running something and owning something yourself, but that if you can mm -hmm. find it within your energy to accept that somebody else might actually find it valuable. Yeah. counter to as you say to the emotional position you've taken which is valueless i hate it as opposed to you can kind of come to the strange position of i really dislike running this business but it has commercial value if you can right. kind of separate your personal experience of the business yeah and the objective value it has then then you're in a better position right and i guess that's maybe yeah. what we're sort of aiming towards isn't it? what we're sort of groping towards yeah. is sort of trying to do that yeah. it's just so interesting isn't it i mean the big decisions in life really do seem to be driven by emotion. I think Freud said something like that the greatest decisions in life are always irrational. I, you know, in other words, they're not thinking led. And the thing's actually right. Who do you decide to marry? When do you decide to sell a business? I and mean, one of the mem members of Mastermind, he sold a business. It was such a, every month was a drama for a while. It was like, will he, won't he, you know, is he going to sell the business? He's not going to sell the business. He isn't going to sell the business. He is going to sell the business. And then he came back and he said, oh, I sold it. But admittedly, he got an incredible multiple. So it made sense to sell. <laughs> yeah. And he's yeah. a great entrepreneur starter, but he doesn't like building teams. So for him, it made mm -hmm. sense. But it was, it was very touch and go. And I think it was led by his feelings rather than, you know, mm -hmm. and a mixture of that and the numbers. But it was definitely a blend. It was fascinating to observe mm -hmm. at close quarters and have conversations with him and help a bit of guidance. And yeah, it's funny, isn't it? That the big pictures in life. And I think as long as we acknowledge that we are driven by emotion, it's okay that we can temper that emotion with some insight. And yeah. then, as you say, you get a much better outcome. Yeah. Um, let me mention, let me mention a third scenario that is a, a common one, actually, that for, for more, maybe what you might call sophisticated and ongoing businesses 
they learn these things over time, I guess. And we've learned them over time, certainly in our business. And that is the financials inside a business that generally are leaned into the, or the, you know, the income statement and the balance sheet. And then the cat, you know, the statement, like those are three common financial tools and they have different uses at different times. And if all you ever do is look at the profit and loss statement, you'll be blind in a scenario that I'm about to describe. And that is very common, which is let's say that you decide to buy your own building. Well, if you buy your own business or your, your own building for your business, then what you're really doing is putting an asset on the balance sheet. Inventory is the same way, I guess you could say, you know, for the physical product sellers, but, but the, uh, but think of a building, you know, you buy, you buy a building and let's say you've got a monthly payment of whatever it is, two grand a month. So you know, $24,000 a year plus, you know, utilities and all the other miscellaneous costs, right? So you're into it for, let's just say it's 30 grand a year out the door expense right off, you know, the top of your, 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 your P and L your, your income looks worse, $30,000 every year. But let's say that business has a appreciation or the, the, the building has an appreciation of whatever, some modest amount. It doesn't matter like 4% a year, 5% a year, hold it for 10 years. And let's say you use the loan when you bought it, then when you sell that building, you're going to have a shockingly good theoretically all things going rightly theoretical big lumpy payday and and that's you know when we went through that cycle in our business we were like okay this is different this is different territory this is not the we're not in the land of the profit and loss statement right now we're in the land of the balance sheet and you got to know that those are very different things and so i think that's the third time where you would just say Yes, you would, in that situation, yes, you'd have the profit and loss statement there. You would understand it, but you would understand that you're creating what you might call disproportionate value for a longer term payoff in the future. That's going to hit you, you know, at some point. And so that's a fun time. And, and when we went through that in our business life, I guess you could say, I'll say we got lucky. You know, we bought a building when commercial property was not in vogue. When people were saying nobody wants commercial property and nobody certainly wanted the property we bought hmm. and we bought it with an SBA loan and it was a bummer for several years. And then it wasn't a bummer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a bummer for several years and no, it wasn't a bummer. I love it. Beautiful, tactical, like, you know, thoughtful strategy there. And yeah. I was going to say what you raised is an interesting point that in certain business models or financial models, you put it broader than just business, like it includes investing and blue chip companies, property or real estate, certain ways of thinking are very, very common. And in other words, they're not common. And I really think it's very healthy for anyone to have a bit of a taste of different things like real estate, if they work in an e-commerce or a business, because there's a lot of things that are very obvious when you're buying a property on with a loan, that it's about the cash flow and the asset value. So the balance sheet and the cash flow statements are critical that Ooh. they then mostly choose not to bring over to their e-commerce business, but when they do, my goodness, it changes things. So mm-hmm. for example, I just, and I last asked my meeting, but one, I said to the, the guy was saying about the, he'd identified the biggest constraint to growth for his cash in his business. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement 
them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Well, Kelsey Prees, that's just mostly true for most businesses in e-commerce with physical products. And I said, okay, so go back to your supplier and negotiate um, to overcome that then. You don't need a bank loan. You don't need to invest. Get some credit from your supplier, particularly in China. They, they get lent money by the the state and you know basically it's it's not very commercial terms so they in other words they've got money to splash around in a rather not commercial way that if you tried to get it from british or, or american lender they'd say no and true enough he came back with an extra seventy thousand in credit or something which was basically sort of i don't know 80 days worth of credit and that really that that won't show up in his PL for a while but that will fuel the growth and that's a cash flow play and that's yeah something that in the property world or e-commerce in the estate you know, real estate world is probably pretty common. I mean, I certainly think about these things a lot. I mean, so yeah. I think that the balance sheet and cash flow management, to your point, are this is a more sophisticated error, but just to be too focused on the profit and loss statement and aware of those numbers when you're ignoring your balance sheet and, and the cash flow is yeah. can actually lead you to the worst canal scenario, which is when you think you know what you're doing, but you're driving blind. And that's a dangerous combo. Yeah. It, it's interesting because actually this whole third thing that we're talking about, which is creating balance sheet value, hmm. that's actually also true when you're setting up your business. I'm just literally the legal entity, the URL, the brand, like those things, the, the difference between real estate and those things is real estate is relatively value, valuable. Like you, you can value it. It's like easily valued, you know, how, how much is a brand worth? That's a lot harder question to answer, you know, but you're still doing the same thing. You know, if you set up a URL or a cool brand idea and get a logo and all that, that could be a billion dollar brand concept. I mean, literally could be worth a billion dollars if it has the right revenue bolted onto it and all that. So, but you, but you're, so you're doing the same thing. You just, you, you have a harder time or it's a bit more myster, mystery in terms of what the values of those items are. But anyway, it's the same idea really. I think you make a really, really important point, which is a lot of people in, in physical products worlds are positive materialists, which is to say, if I can't see it, smell it or touch it, it doesn't exist. Right. Yes. And my wife's a yeah. bit like that. So I can relate to that, but, but actually intellectual property, there's a thing called goodwill. My dad was a, a lawyer in the UK. So he, he was used to what they call goodwill in UK law. I'm not sure what the, the phrase might be yeah, said yeah. in the US. Same idea. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, it's the difference between the, the value of the company and the tangible assets. Like mm -hmm. you've got to kind of account for that. What does that even mean? It's the fact that the, the business as a going concern has a value because it has a reputation. It has assets. There's other things like intellectual property, like patents, which can be, you know, amortized over across 20 years and they can be incredibly valuable. I mean, the, the most valuable brands in the world often are based around the value of the IP, like Starbucks famously makes no money in the U UK and maybe in the US in, in profit, but it pays a lot of money to its Luxembourg holding company for the rights to the intellectual property. Now that's kind of a tax dodge. But it goes to show that, that actually IP has a lot of value. Cause if you drank Starbucks coffee without the Starbucks logo, you just think, what is this? I mean, I, I'm not a fan. Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse yeah. And offending anyone who loves Starbucks. But yeah. And you know, they spend more money on the logo than they do in the coffee, which explains yeah. a lot. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. all of which is to say, I guess, you know, without getting too abstract and abstruse, I think that it's important to educate yourself over time without sort of plunging from never using a profit and loss statement to 
all of this obscure stuff is to go there in stages, but to use professionals to educate you. So intellectual property lawyers should be part of your life, I think, mm-hmm. earlier than most people think. And so should your accountant and your bookkeeper. And I think all of which is to say that the more you educate yourself about these tools, I would say this delightful insight is that I'm getting is to see that businesses in the several million dollar a year range, often very unsophisticated in their use of the balance sheet, which means it's so easy to get them big wins. I mean, like the, the thing I mentioned is just one of many examples um, where there is money to be got out of your business without all the stress of launching a new product line, without going for a loan to your bank and begging and then worrying about the repayments. Supplier credit is one of the most beautiful ways of managing balance sheet, but that's far, far from the only thing. And so the, the payoff from educating yourself about relatively simple versions of this, I think is fantastically good. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I think we've covered it, man. This is a great conversation. Hopefully I piqued everybody's interest with the idea. And then you, it now is clear just how to think about the exceptional times mm. when the profit and loss statement really isn't the only thing to think about. Uh, we've got a resource that's free, Profit Habits Workbook, and I think you'll we'll plug that and mention it in the post credits of the show to make sure people know how to get that. But mm-hmm. it is, yeah. it's a resource that it's got 17 habits of highly profitable business owners. I wrote it two years ago during COVID time, and I'd love to get that in the hands of people for free. Is it just a, a gift for listening to the show? And I think it'll point out many other ideas beyond the ideas related to a profit and loss statement as it relates to how to get good at managing profits within a business. And uh, I think so it's a really powerful book. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a good one. It's, it's, uh, it'll pique people's curiosity and also really give solid ideas for how to improve income in a business over time. So, so Michael, to, as always, great conversation, to, man. Yeah. Just to back that up, I was going to say just more call to action for your beautiful book, not to undersell it is beautifully produced and it's got really powerful, simple ideas. So you have a great knack, I think Jason for reducing things to a simple graspable version, which is really powerful. And it's, it's a beautifully produced book and you can get it at the ecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Sorry, I couldn't resist putting a direct call to action in there. Sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 that's great. Awesome. All right. Well, to recap, if you want me to do that, there are times when a profit and loss statement is not the only thing you look at, including when you're in the startup phase, when you're in the wind down disposition, you know, ending of your business. And when you're building balance sheet assets, those three times in particular are times when just focusing on the profit and loss statement or income statement is not sufficient and it will be a mistake. So that's a simple idea. And hopefully everybody enjoyed listening. And Michael, it's always a great time with these conversations. Really appreciate the chance to nerd out over this stuff with you. Yeah, man, it's great fun. I do enjoy it. Good times. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific, and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. 
to download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits.